Hello and welcome back to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. This is a podcast created to enhance, connect and inspire the Yarra Valley Grammar community and beyond. So wherever you're listening from today, I want to thank you for tuning in. My name is Paul Joy and it's my privilege to sit down each week and have a conversation with another Yarra old grammarian, a yog, and we explore the twists and turns of life both their experiences of being here at Yarra as a student and then where life has taken them beyond. Now we've got another fascinating conversation that we're going to bring to you today with Emily McVean, who was in fact a school captain from the class of 1997. And Emily has a real affinity with creativity and the value of creativity. She's well-read, she's uh, into podcasts, she's into TED Talks, she uh, has a, a fascinating perspective on life that uh, that she'll share with us in this conversation. As a member of the Yarra Valley Grammar community, whether you're a current student, a current family member, a parent, or in fact a yog, a, a fellow Yarra or grammarian, or in fact if you've just stumbled across this conversation, this podcast, then welcome and thanks for being part of this uh, great community that we're continuing to seek to grow and inspire one another through these conversations. And of course, there are a range of ways that we'd love you to keep in contact with our school community and the wider community, the YOG community, whether it's on various forms of social media, Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter, all linked from our website, which is uh, yvg.vic.edu. But without any further ado, let's head on over and tune in to this conversation with Emily McVean from the class of 1997. Welcome to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. And today it is my pleasure to sit down with Emily McVean from the class of 1997. Emily back in 1997 would have been known as Emily Tunks. That's right. Emily, thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Yarra. Thank you, Paul. It is wonderful to be here. Now, you didn't start at Yarra until about year 10. That's right. Um, 1995, I came and uh, joined the first cohort of girls to begin in year 10. I believe up until that time, there'd been girls in year 11 and 12 for for many years. But year 10 was when it was the first I, I could start. My older sister had been here and I was desperate to come. I couldn't wait to get over. So so let me just, from a male perspective, I've been, let's pretend for a moment, mm-hmm. I've been at school, I've maybe I've gone through grade five, grade six, I'm seven, year eight, year nine, mm-hmm. it's me and the boys. Yes. I'm one of the boys. Yes. And all of a sudden in year 10, they let some girls come into my school. Yes. My turf. And... You were one of them. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? What does that feel like for you coming into that environment? Give me a, an idea of numbers. Mm, okay, so I will never forget there were 16. I know the number because it was it was so obvious. There so were 16, 16 girls, girls came okay. in and about 110 boys in right. that particular class or okay. that level at that yes. time. And so you'll come in and you've got a different uniform? Yes, yes. And I'd actually come from an all-girls school myself, Right. not a neighbouring one but um, one a little while away and it was a completely different school. Wow. Different environment. What was the motivation for coming then into, like you really mm. put yourself in a um, an uncomfortable situation to do that. Mm. Um, maybe trailblazing, but yeah. definitely challenging. <laughs> yes. Why? What was the motivation? How did you come to choose, I want to go to Yarra? Um, my 
older sister, who is about four years older than me, um, came to Yarra Valley in year 11 and uh, completed year 11 and 12 here. And my parents and all of us, my myself and my younger brother, noticed what a shift it had in her. She grew uh, exponentially. She really did as a, as a 16-year-old. And I just, I guess I couldn't articulate it at the time. I was only in about year eight. And maybe I didn't have the vocabulary for it, but I just thought, I I want that energy. I want that. It just sounded so um, open and exciting and um, not so rigid or, um, yeah, a little limiting where I felt I was um, at the previous school. And then location-wise, Yarra had always been on our radar because we walked our dogs through here. We lived very close. We were fortunate to live about, oh, maybe two-minute walk away, which meant I was always late to school because I would have that false illusion of time. What is the psychology behind that, (laughs) that when you live close, you you end up being there late? How does that work? I think, you know, you just have that... um, in the back of your mind all the time, you've got this, oh, it's only two minutes to get there. I'll, I can get there in two minutes. And we always underestimate as humans how long stuff actually takes. Sure. And and also, you know, the research now shows that um, teenagers need more sleep than what we as a society give them. And we start the day too early. And um, I was late to go to sleep and, uh, and then I'd, I'd have a delayed sleep cycle. So that would have been one of the reasons. Yeah. So you, you mentioned in there being able to watch your sister and... and mm. It sounds like there was a tangible transformation in her. Yes. Tell me a little bit, though, about family life because mm-hmm. for your family, you, you mentioned that, you you know, others in your family observed it as mm. well. So is, there, is it a close family? Mm. How many people in the family? What sort mm. of – are you sitting around the meal table? What, what, mm. what was life like in your family? I'm really fortunate to have a fantastic family. I have a fantastic foundation. Um I have a mum and a dad who are still uh, together, live together, and I have an older sister who's about four years older, uh, Rebecca, and a younger brother, Josh, and he came here too, and he got to come from year seven. Um, But I really saw my parents um, struggle, actually, at the time to be able to afford the difference from the school we were at and then be able to set the the fee higher to, to send not just one kid but all three of us. So I knew it meant a lot to them and it added extra pressure and and I I can remember that. But it was never used against us in a way like, well, you better do well because of, you know, this this, what this has cost us. They genuinely wanted us to be uh, the best we could be. I know that sounds like a such a catchphrase now, but they they could see we all had different potentials um, and different interests. And I originally, strangely enough, came to Yarra because I wanted to do that all visual arts program where I believe it's English and four other art subjects okay. um, because my mum's creative. She's very, um, she's fun. She's outspoken. She's assertive. She's one of six. Uh, and then my dad is more the quiet soul, um, contemplative, reflective. Um, he is an engineer, mechanical engineer. So I had this yin and yang and I, I sort of thought, oh, maybe I'm more that creative type and I, that's why I came to Yarra. It was definitely an attraction. I would have come anyway, no doubt, because I've seen my sister's growth here. But when I got to Yarra, I remember thinking in Year 10, actually, I don't want to be marked on something so personal. You, you, it's my creative output. I kind of wanted more yes or no um, and my science has started to, to speak to me and I had um, Ros West was a psychologist and I just, I just loved those classes. Yeah. 
So I steered away, I guess, from the arts and really found myself throwing my um, my energies towards psychology and English and, and things that I also loved. But, you know, it was a learning path, which, which one is going to be me and what's sure. going to deliver a career. And I love it that even, I mean, clearly there's a, an alertness or an awareness of yourself mm. to partway through realise that, that's not for me and I'm mm. going to make some adjustments mm. to suit me. Mm. That's really insightful of you to do that. So your your career now, mm-hmm. and, and I, look, to be honest, I did do a little bit of research okay. and there was a stack of words that I've written down okay. about you that you're interested in and I've got no idea what they <laughs> mean. Can I just throw a few of these words out? Sure. Some of them, are, I'm probably going to pronounce them incorrectly, but... You are interested in health psychology, mm-hmm. clinical psychology, mm-hmm. attachment physiology, mm-hmm. neurology, endocrinology, pharmacology, mm-hmm. and I love this one. This one took me almost the whole page to write, <laughs> psychoneuroimmunology. Yes. What are any of those? Good. Uh, it's funny, <laughs> isn't it? No, it's true. It's funny. You forget what you don't know at the time. And it's interesting, that last one. I Can read you pronounce it properly? Psychoneuroimmunology. You did really well. <laughs> Psychoneuroimmunology. I first read about in about year 11, in a year 11 textbook here, and I just went, it just lit me up. I just clicked. I was like, Not oh. just the word. No. I mean, obviously... It looks nice and long yeah, and impressive. It's cool to be able to say, yeah. Go, I know something about that. Exactly. <laughs> That's, you know, in year 11, that would have been um, certainly a consideration. But uh, what it means, um, if you break it into this, so the psycho and then the neuro and the immunology, immunology see, it's hard to say. But the uh, psycho neuroimmunology is a field, it's not, uh, doesn't get enough precedence in Australia, but it's getting there. There's huge research centres overseas, particularly in America, the Mayo Clinic, if you're interested. And the psycho neuroimmunology is a study of um, stress, mind, your behaviour. So that's where the neuro is coming in, the psychology from the, um, from the psycho. And what impact does this have on your um, body? So, and particularly on the immune system. So are some of us more destined to get certain health conditions based on the amount of stress or what type of stress we're exposed to for what periods? And more importantly, how long or how do you um, cope with levels of stress and does that affect certain immune responses in your body? So then in the long term, are you more prone to certain conditions? Or in the short term, we could do blood tests. In psychoneuroimmunological studies, they will do blood tests of participants who have just done certain stressful conditions or, or experiments and measure everyone's response in the blood levels for um, immune markers, red cells, white cells, etc. So, th- so therefore, it's not about making generalisations. It's quite a... a specific about this particular person responds in this particular way and therefore because it has that particular result let's not put them in that situation yeah yeah and if we for their betterment for their better let's tailor cancer treatments a little more specific not such a broad brush well this type of radiation for this antidepressants you know we've only i think it was only a couple of years ago they've been able to um, um pinpoint which um, gene they can find a depression link on so they can now not just have such a broad brush response to using antidepressants but in maybe five or ten years have really tailored blood results before handing out antidepressant medication. Which is fascinating if we think back through 
the development of our human race mm-hmm. more and more. I mean, I, I guess I come from an education perspective. There mm. used to be classfuls of 45, 50 kids in a class and yes. now we're, we're much smaller. Yes. Our programs now are trying to be individualised and personalised. Mm. Healthcare, it seems, and, and particularly in your field that you've been talking about here, we're really trying to pinpoint down what is the best treatment, whether that be through particular drugs or particular exercises mm-hmm. or particular routines, what is going to be best for that particular mm-hmm. person? Where does this end? Like, mm-hmm. are we all going to have a, a personal psychologist, a personal doctor, a personal healthcare professional, a personal educator, a person? Like, it's true. Where does it, where does it end? Uh, I hope so. I like, I hope we all one day have that. I yeah. hope that's where we go, where um, you have, yeah, your own psychologist that you can check in and out for different issues and we can't cover everything. So making sure that you go to the specialist who loves that area and knows and continues their development and the same with, you know, medical. So it, I guess it depends on, on the individual. I imagine it'll happen in our lifetime where it will just get more and more specific, targeted, whether we're talking about mental health, physical health and the combination of where they combine. And you might say this becomes more interesting for you as a professional, but I would say it potentially becomes more challenging too, Mm. is that now you've got more intimate knowledge of all of your patients Mm -hmm. and you're on a journey with each and every one of them, but you've still got lots of patients. Mm. And, And so the demands on you as a professional, because here on uh, Inspired by Yarra, we are talking with Dr. Emily McVean from the class of 1997. <laughs> so what, what doctor of... Health psychology or health doctor of psychology. And currently practising as a, or in fact, you're the, uh, the founder of? Yeah, I set up my own uh, health psychology practice just this year, having worked for about 10 years in um, the public system at various fantastic um, training areas, colleges and um, hospitals. So I've worked in um, uh, hospitals, in their rehab units, in um, pain management. I've worked in drug and alcohol communities, um, uh, universities, and uh, what's the other one? I um, HIV unit, so chronic illness department. And um, look, that in that area... I think I did get frustrated with this um, in some of the programs where we weren't encouraged to individualise because I guess with public funding there is a limited amount. So you would notice if someone came to us for a chronic pain injury or, you know, um, a long-term adjustment to a chronic health condition, they might come for a three-week program, it was every day, and you'd have a very high dropout rate. And if it was individualised, that wouldn't be so high. Um, and we were bound sometimes by the researchers and, you know, very esteemed doctors at, at certain hospitals who wouldn't want us to individualise because that would then affect their ability to publish their results and having variables. So I did grow tired um, of that mass approach. And as I got more experienced in my practice, I wanted to add my own flavour and really um, tailor how I worked with clients. And that's why I love private practice, which has been a journey for the last three years. Which is fascinating. It it indicates that there are layers of, whether I call it red tape, Mm. layers of permissions and layers of, and some of them are important and they're good because we we want it to be safeguarded, uh, checked and and absolutely all of that. Empirically based. But at the same time, there is some advantage in, in sort of pursuing 
in your sense, a private uh, enterprise yeah. to be able to treat people according to your knowledge and your expertise and your experience. And they're what they want to work on. Yes, okay. Their barriers to treatment, their resistance. Um, we don't have in a group, I love group work, don't get me wrong, I love it. There's nothing like the group dynamic. And sometimes in certain conditions you can get a better response when it's coming from a co um co-group member rather than the psychologist or the leader uh, you can you can really hear and identify with what someone else has struggled or is coping with and how they've um, uh, got through it but uh, the, you know there's pros and cons to everything and I think you've got to keep that flexible mindset about you know with funding with time it's uh, it's hard to make um, time for therapy so I find sometimes group is more effective like that and then individual maybe we're going now towards digital too you know I now offer some sessions to um, clients in Singapore so via via video so so it's a video link it's a video yeah your, so you're still able to see see them and yeah. read their their facial expressions and, and kind of watch how they respond and hear them yes without actually having to be in the room yes goodness yeah. me yeah it's got its own challenges it's got benefits as well as sure. negatives but it's certainly a viable option and very important for rural health, obviously, yes. in Australia. Yeah. So you're now, I mean, your your work, your learning, and you, you, I know that you're continuing and, and you need to continue to learn, mm-hmm. but you have a couple of other hats that you wear as well. Mm-hmm. You're a, a wife mm-hmm. and you're a mother, mm-hmm. mother of three. Mother of three girls. Three girls, okay. And what ages are they? Three, almost six, and almost nine. So you've got your hands full. Yes. You're running your own... Uh, is it called Embody Embodies, Psychology? Yeah. And just part-time as a result. Okay, yeah. yes. So so what's the number one hat is mum? Mum, for sure. And yeah. Mum and, and partner. Yes. I wonder whether you can just reflect for a moment. Mm. You, you talked a little bit about your journey through school where you initially, perhaps because of your mum's perspective, you thought you were creative and flamboyant mm. and ready to explore the world through creativity. Yes. And then you realize that you like the idea of actually there's black and white there's a real Mm. answer it's not it's not just about kind of going off where I want to go but actually having now combining being a mum being a spouse Mm. being a a a business owner Mm. being a psychologist Mm -hmm. all of those do you still have a flair of creativity about you how important is that now a days That's a great question. I don't think I do it enough, if I'm honest. I think all of us, whether or not we work in creative fields, I think all humans, from my experience, would benefit from having the ability to express themselves through creativity. I think I went too far into sciences and um, this possibly also contributed to my desire to push back into the private space because I can actually be creative in my work. Sure, I'm not creating works of art or painting, but in how I want to work with clients, um, I can be way more creative in this space. With children, uh, they are naturally creative. They are much more in the present moment. So I do very much enjoy um, fostering that. However, you know, the part of me wants to keep the house clean at the same time, you know, and do the washing and do the cooking because I'm so limited for time and I've got these three little minds. So it's a constant balance. I don't think I get it right all the time, but I think um, as a result uh, we suffer in terms of 
um, our coping skills, anxiety, when we don't have other outlets that allow this uh, gentle, creative expression of vulnerability or yeah. a connection with others. I'm a big fan of creativity and, and mm. expressing yourself. And, and uh, I wonder, do you have any, whether we call it a habit or a, a regular out, is it, do you journal, do you do you pick up a paintbrush, do you get mm. your hands into the sandpit, do you mm. get some clay, do you pick up a colouring pencil from time to time? Do you have any little outlet? Uh, it's funny, I do, with the kids, we do a lot of drawing and you can now see adult drawing books on being mindful and, and so forth. Um, so I probably get a little bit like that, but um, I wish, I probably use music more. I, I don't play, but I probably use music more to guide my, you know, just to meet my moods. Um, and I think this is an area, yeah, that needs constant development, like you've mentioned, sure. you know, and not just development, time. Absolutely, and that is that is the greatest resource that we are lacking. Mm. It's time, and although perhaps I mean we all we all start out the day with the same number of minutes <laughs> in the day. It's how we choose to allocate that time. That's right. That time. I heard you say recently that diversity is what makes us fabulous. Mm. What do you mean by that? Diversity within an individual is what makes us unique, makes us lovable, makes us uh, interesting, makes us wanting to keep learning, stays open and curious. So when we try to um, simplify our um, sense of self and who we are, I think we can greatly miss out on not just representing ourselves but um, growing and learning and keeping keeping that development happening. Um, and then on a group level, whether it's in a family unit, whether it's in a team environment, whether it's at school, work, managers, the research shows that we need introverts, extroverts, we need creative, verbally, we need those who are better in written communication. We all as, as a, a unit will build connection when we can be truly ourselves and therefore learn from each other and see different perspectives and how people approach things and be less judgmental mm. of ourselves and others and therefore be open then to curious um, development. We're just so limiting. The more we simplify um, the human um, and what makes a good team or what makes uh, a good leader, that's when we miss out on opportunities, right. on possibilities, on growth. So we, we people, we mm -hmm. humans, we mm -hmm. are a complex being Indeed. and you're actually celebrating that Absolutely. you're saying it's good to delve into that explore who you are find out who you are so how does one do that it's a good question i think um i think being open to learning in whichever way you learn best so i i'm i'm a reader and um i know some people this isn't their way of learning and and there, there should be no judgment on that um, it's uh, unfortunate for those people because the, it's getting better uh, when I do lecturing at Deakin Uni. We don't just teach didactically anymore. We have to provide um, visual, uh, auditory, all different modes of how to get the concepts across and the themes. And that's just such a change from my day. I was lucky because I can read and I, I, when I read I remember I love but this isn't this isn't common and it's really a disservice that we miss out on um, what other people could provide for the world 
if they'd been supported in a way that advanced and encouraged their learning rather than made them feel judged or shameful because they weren't able to learn didactically mm. and therefore limit their ideas and their impact on the world. Yes, uh, and, and you're quite right. And, and certainly from a school perspective and, and we're here talking today about from a perspective of Yarra Valley Grammar, that more and more realising and so important that we need to uh, be able to harness all of the different learning styles mm-hmm. and, and therefore deliver or present in a way that's going to, you know, be accessible to, to all students with all of their differences and celebrate it as well. Yes, that's it. Um, we're here speaking with Emily McBean from the class of 1997, former school captain, no less, <laughs> from the year of uh, 1997. Can you tell us who was your co-captain? Was there, there probably would have been a boy who yes. was the captain? James Scanlon. James Scanlon. Yes. So a shout out to James Scanlon. Yeah. <laughs> um, Emily, you mentioned just a while back that, that one of your learning styles, probably um, a way you learn best, is through reading. Mm. You can read and capture it and mm-hmm. remember it. If I'm interested in it, I think that's the difference. That is important. I'm a massive nerd with stuff I'm interested in, sure. but you give me something about economics, I will not remember it. Okay. Your highly educated you work with a variety of different people you yourself have been a student mm-hmm. now you're the mother of some young people mm-hmm. is there a book or an author that you wish you had read when you were negotiating the journey mm-hmm. of secondary school is there a thought an idea look well I'm going to talk to you about books because mm. that's your thing but is there is there a concept or a, a book that you wish you had read therefore you might recommend that particular book to maybe young people or parents of young people who are seeking to negotiate this mm. adventure of uh, education mm. It's a great question I have it's hard to answer with one because yes. there are so many um, Read and- off a few. Okay, so I I really enjoy um, the Happiness Trap. I think that's a good one. To, I wish I'd learned read that earlier. That's by Russ Harris, uh, and that or anything from the School of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. It's a school or it's a, a, a therapeutic approach in psychology that really speaks to me, and I see fantastic outcomes with clients and my own family and everyone else who has to listen to me, Um, as opposed to traditional cognitive behavioural therapy. So that's certainly one that made a huge impact. Um, More recently, um, social researchers such as um, Brene Brown and the power of uh, moving beyond books and, and having the, you know, the TED. I love TED Talks where they find um, there's a great one on a misfit, for example, or um, a, a psychologist that went and did uh, Buddhist training and he's now a Zen priest, uh, Flint Sparks. He's fantastic to listen to. Uh, someone who I guess helps provide uh, um, not just... Uh, uh, what's the word? Not just a diagnosis of human suffering, but rather what what is beautiful about the suffering, where that vulnerability can take us, and more importantly, where the vulnerability allows connection. Being a health psych, people do talk to me a lot about what is the meaning of this this suffering. You know, they might have some horrible conditions, and uh, it's totally turned their head, uh, sorry, their life on their head. So. 
uh, I needed, you know, better answers. So I've certainly been doing a lot more reading in existential psychology. And I think uh, the Buddhists have a fantastic view on some things, speaking. <laughs> but any contemplative, absolutely any contemplative um, uh, spiritual reflection practice is, is where I, I think humans as, as a... Um, uh, no matter what age they are, can really take from... So we were talking mm. a little bit about um, the value of reflection. And yes. the value of um, perhaps even being open to a variety of spiritual perspectives mm-hmm. um, and the learnings that we can gain from them, and, and I would agree with that. Um, I think you're an advocate for developing yourself mm-hmm. and your awareness of yourself. Yeah. I wonder, do you have any practices that you, uh, that either that you you guide other people through or to, mm-hmm. or in fact that you participate in yourself, whether it be a daily thing, a, a, an annual thing, a regular thing? Mm-hmm. What are some habits or practices that that help you to stay grounded mm. and also dig into who you really are? Uh, a great app I use at the moment um, with a lot of my clients is it's called What's Up. It's not WhatsApp, the connecting one, but WhatsApp. And it's um, a UK, I think it's a red, it's free. It's a red hand and it's a fantastic app where literally it would do me out of a job sometimes. It it is so um, uh, evidence-based in terms of uh, approaching mental health with um, normality. So this is what all humans' minds will get fed and you click on the different icons and it will walk you through all the different metaphors to see where we are experiencing thinking errors. But we don't know their errors unless you have that space. And so it's just it's fantastic and 17-year-olds to 7-year-olds love it and they come back. It's also got a great get grounded section, as you mentioned, very important when we're working with, you know, um, severe distress or panic, that's where we need to start. And then you've got the different sections to really help with understanding thinking areas and where they're impacting on your life and what you could do instead mm. so you don't live a life that is taking you away from what you really want it to be yes. or people you really want. So that's a good all-rounder. Um, and then um, anything with a mindfulness component, I see uh, the greatest um, results for me. And I'm not doing it for results as if to lessen suffering but rather um, to, to cope and enjoy the find the joy and see the joy even amongst the difficulties. What's a, a layman's definition of mindfulness? What does it mm. mean? Uh, the ability to see what's happening right now in this present second of time. So not be caught up in the future, worrying about what's happening in the next ten minutes or the next ten years, or what you're going to do. Um, in the future, and it's not in the past. The mind gets really um, bored in the present. It's got nothing for it to do, so it's quite a good way to stop and find the joy. Otherwise, when it's living in the past, you're regretting, resenting, ruminating, and therefore you're missing out on what could be right in front of you in that second, which is you know the look in your kid's eyes or um, uh, something that you really enjoy, which might be, I don't know, the colour of a tree that just makes your day smile a bit it's beautifully powerful i I love that and and certainly an aspiration of many and it's becoming something that we're more and more aware of and we're told and and both in a school setting but in a professional setting an entrepreneurial Mm. setting in a in a in a 
a fellowship and, and church and worship mm. and that idea of we need to be present, mm. um, present in the moment. Um, I think there's some wise counsel around that and, and mm. we all benefit both individually and collectively. That's right, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, when you're starting out and as I am, it's, you know, it's an awesome tool that really does stop or reduce the suffering in, in the short term in that you're not so wrapped up in the future and the past all the time and you've got some space. But as I'm learning, if you go allow it to go deeper, it's so much more. That's one of its benefits, but it's so much deeper than that. Like most apps yes, and probably books and ideas, there's way more to it yes. than what we ever actually touch on. Yeah. Uh, and it takes time to, mm. to develop the, the discipline to go deeper. And, and, and that's okay learning. too, isn't it? it? Okay. I think, you yeah. know, we've got to be so, you've got to be ready. It's fascinating when you have a client in front of you and, they know where we need to go next, and they but they're not ready. And right. you know, I think you can't you can't force that. There's yeah. resistance there for a reason. Yeah. And um, when we do force it, it'll just push back harder. So I think waiting for that un, unraveling and um, and um, being open to it and knowing it's there is is just as powerful. I I agree with you that we ought to be mindful and be present. In a little while, I want to talk a little bit about the future cool. and your future and what yep. you think and what you're planning. But for now, I want to go back. Yes. Back let's... All the way back to your time here at Yarra. Yes. This podcast is called Inspired by Yarra. And I wonder whether you can uh, put some words around how Yarra was an inspiration to you. Was it a person, an, an outlook? Was it a, a perspective that you gained from being here or was it? Were you inspired by the, mm. the fields, the environment, something that inspired you about Yarra? It's funny you say that after what we've just chatted about. What I noticed when I came to Yarra and what inspired me was this openness that you can do what you can be who you want to be. And I, is your motto confidence to achieve? Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually for me gave me the confidence to achieve. Um, and in some ways my definition back then was a different interpretation of, of achievement, but I just loved the fact that you could feel um, like you could pursue your interests here, whether it be the arts, whether it be the sports, um, creative writing, uh, and the certain teachers that you could see really enjoyed what they do and they really saw the potential in in everyone and allowed for individual differences. So, yeah, there were like uh, Mary Carroll was was a, definitely a good leader for me because being female, I really I uh, I loved her enthusiasm, um, enthusiasm for life and and learning and keep just keeping trying, just keep trying. At, at, if something if something of interest to you, keep trying at it. Yeah. Uh, Mary Carroll is a big fan of this podcast. I've oh. so heard that shout out hey, just now. Um, if, we, if I throw to you the words lavavi oculus, mm. do you remember what it means literally in terms mm. of translation to English and what does it mean to you? Uh, it's lift up your eyes, I believe. Well done. Um, and, in, and I guess, yeah, that's it, Yarra spirit, isn't it? Look lift up the eyes, don't get stuck here in thinking this is it, you know, keep looking further in expanding your horizons, what you want to do. So 
yeah, it's, it was a fantastic song. I now get it as an adult, as a 17, 16-year-old. I perhaps didn't. And I associate that song with trembling behind the lectern because that was when the school captains were about to speak after that song. Okay. So that was, that, that. oh, my gosh, my stomach is just gone. You feel you, it I right feel now. it in my stomach going, oh, dear, you're about to have to speak. And that was walking, yeah, that was a big song that you'd enter the George performing Art Centre, yeah, George Wood, and the whole school would be there and there'd be a thousand people. Yeah. So Now, I, I have to admit, you've and somebody else has talked about the song. Mm-hmm. Can you reference, can you give me some more information about the song? Is it, are you talking, is it, was it a school song? Was it a, a hymn that used to be sung? Yes, the We Lift Up Our Eyes, that song. There's a whole song. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, sorry. I, I, perhaps I should know about it. Yeah. There is certainly the concept. I could sing it, but I was shocking. <laughs> I know it in my head. Is how you express yourself. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it's a, yeah, and it was played. Yeah, so there was a song. I'm going to look it up. Oh, my husband, who was also a Yarra boy, we talk about the song. Tell me a little bit about Jeremy. Ah, Jeremy, I was fortunate so because of the Yarra connection. I was at a party when I was about 24 from my older sister's best friend's brother's house, so I didn't know them, and I ended up at this um, party with my best, my sister's best friend at 24, and there was Jeremy and uh, he and a few other um Yarra boys, uh, and uh, yeah, we just clicked, really yeah. hit it off. And uh, he is now, yes, my husband, and we have three beautiful kids together. Fantastic. And and Jeremy was also school captain, school captain at Yarra, not in the same year as you. No, some years, five years or so ahead of me. So we actually weren't at school at the same time. So the first time we met, he was thirty, and I was yeah twenty four. Yes, but between you, you know a thing or two about leadership. I guess so. <laughs> and, and you've had that, you know, from a, a student's perspective, from a school perspective, it's an important job being the school captain. You've, you've both had that. What, what does leadership look like to you today? What's good leadership today? Good leadership for me represents some uh, um, leaders that are open in terms of how they uh, engage with themselves and others. So they're, they're flexible they're not rigid in their thinking. They're also um, courageous, not just in um, how they speak, but rather the values that they embody. So they are courageous in how they um, uh, are assertive, not aggressive. They're courageous in how they will uh, live their values and make hard decisions, even if they're um, really having to put themselves out of a comfort zone but they're acting in line with their integrity and their authenticity. And someone who has the courage to be vulnerable um, because that is where it will connect uh, with others. A leader needs to be someone who can connect with others and they can't do that until they connect with themselves, which means there's got to be a great awareness of um, self-compassion and therefore you can be compassionate for others, but you you can't be compassionate and empathetic to others unless you are aware of your own judgments and how you respond to them. I've heard three concepts put together mm-hmm. and you've just hit on two of them mm-hmm. the three are courage compassion and connection mm-hmm. and in fact i've heard you speak about those three uh, and just today just now you've you've mentioned compassion as leaders we need to be compassionate and mm-hmm. we need to connect with the people who we're leading where does courage fit in there what, what's the courage piece i think the courage connects them all 
you see, because I think to be compassion, compassionate, to be um, flexible and open-minded, to be yourself, to be um, assertive, to be um, value-based, you need courage. You need to act from your heart. You can't do um, anything uh, where you're um, trying to inspire or um, lead others without courage, but not... It's different to bravery, I feel. <clears throat> Courage requires connecting with stuff that means something to you and when you know what that, that is, you can therefore make decisions based on, well, this is important to me or the organisation or the team because of X, Y, Z. Even if it's uncomfortable? Very much. I always say that saying. It's very common. Um, let's get more comfortable being uncomfortable. Okay. What is the advantage of becoming more comfortable with being uncomfortable? The advantage, I feel, is that you'll live a life that's value-based. You'll actually live one that's important to you and, yeah, it won't be easy. You'll, there'll be less suffering, though, as a result, no matter of what, you know, um, luck and, and so forth, will uh, stuff out of our control will hit us. If we're more comfortable being uncomfortable and only on stuff that matters, you know, um, if it's something minor or small, you know, it's probably not worth it. But if it means something to you and your body and your brain are saying, this is really hard, no elevate leader has ever been here before in this particular organisation, but <clears throat> if this means something to me, it takes courage to say, voice it and um, expose and be potentially vulnerable that mm. I want to take this organisation in a certain direction, so therefore I'm going to have to be putting myself out there to say, this is important, this meets our um, our objectives and this is a different way to go about it. Some wise words from 1997 school captain. Yeah. I wonder whether you could speak for a moment. When you were the school captain, mm -hmm. do you reckon you made a mistake? Did you, dare I say it, fail? Maybe let's generalise it. It doesn't have to be just about being a school captain. But while you're at school, what what failure? Like, my observation of failure is that generally we try and avoid it. We yes. Don't, we don't like failure and we certainly don't want to admit failure. But I sense that you might uh, have a different perspective on failure and, and whether maybe it's important. Mm, I do now. I think back then I didn't. Mm -hmm. Back then I was terrified of failing. I was terrified of being not good enough. I had these own internal, you know, debates, a world saying that if you don't do X, Y, Z, it's not going to be good enough and therefore you're going to fail. Um, and now I can see how limiting that was and not just limiting in that it possibly didn't, well, I could have missed opportunities. It was also exhausting, exhausting and excruciating. It was really painful unnecessarily to, to live in that silo when so many others now I know in the work I do, because people come and tell me what they're struggling with, I now know this is really common. This is the human condition. And our fear of failure is is there for a reason. Obviously, um, there's evolutionary benefits from not standing out from the crowd. Um, there's evolutionary benefits for, um, for being a good threat detector and keeping yourself safe. But in this modern world where we've got the old brain and this modern cortex, it can if you if you listen to those old messages from um, our ancestors, you'll end up avoiding um, stuff that you really actually want. And in the long term, you're doing it all because you want to um, 
Oh, what's the word? I guess you're trying to prevent more suffering or pain, but in the end, you're in, you're, I can see what happens in, is that you end up creating more. So fear of failure back then, I was really scared of um, not being smart enough, not being um, clever enough, and, and it even affected certain subjects where um, the ones I really loved and um, knew I was good at, I just dedicated all my time to, and I don't regret that, but I do regret maybe listening to the judgments um, about other subjects that I couldn't do, I wouldn't be good at, and not applying myself fully. Mm -hmm. Emily, you've been really good with your time and, uh, and I really appreciate it. I've just got a couple, last couple of questions and then uh, we need to let you go because you've got other hats that you've got to go and put on, no doubt. Um, what does the future look for, like for you? Um, you're, you're a mother of some young children and that's a really busy mm. time of life. Um, and, and you've got a, a business going, a family at home. And, but what, what's success looking like down the track? Oh, that is a really good question. Hmm. Success um, has changed for me. I would have previously based my success would have been on achievements. So achievement, if I become this, if I become a psychologist, if I have a family, if I have kids, then I'll be happy or successful. And yeah, it's true in our society, we are um, deemed successful based on our external achievements. But for me now, success is knowing my kids, <clears throat> particularly my three girls, know that they can do anything in this world and they won't let fear stop them. That would be, for me, the definition of success. When they say, Mummy, I'm going to do this and not let... I'm sure they'll be scared of stuff, but not let the fear stop them or get in the way of what they want to, what they want to do. Um, and, it's, and it's also connection. So I guess it, it would be about... Success is about connection for me. So am I surrounded by loving... Um, different, diverse, but um, family, friends who inspire, support um, and motivate me? Um, am I grateful and showing gratitude for the safe, warm environment I can provide, we can provide for our children? And uh, can I find that joy in those, those moments more often than not, or certainly more than I was just in the present time to say, stop, this is success. This is a beautiful sunny day with people I love. This is reading a book that just gave me a whole new concept or insight that I hadn't thought of previously. So, yeah, it's much more internal now and I guess hard to judge or to view, mm -hmm. but I know it's there and that makes me mm. smile. I reckon your kids are in pretty good hands. Ooh. It's beautiful. It's good. And it's a journey. Oh. And you've spoken about your journey and, and your growth and your learning and, and the mistakes that you make along the way and we muck it up sometimes and we put our brave pants back on and we try again. And, yeah. Uh, and and it, as we <laughs> seek to enable our own children but also, from my perspective, other people's children in uh, mm. students who I work with, it's about opening up, you know, helping them to lift their eyes and, mm. and believe that they are enough. Absolutely. It's going to be okay. And even though the journey might have a few deviations along the way, it's okay. The number doesn't matter. No, not at all. The label doesn't matter. That's the person I want to sit next to at a dinner party at, in our 50s, not someone who's had the easy, fast, straight road. It's yeah. who, that's where the character is is shown, not what 
happens, but rather how we react to it and learning those acceptance skills um, rather than the self-limiting that, that just is so um, obvious when you're in your later in life and you're sitting in a dinner party and there's someone sitting there about all the stuff that's gone wrong and stuff they haven't let go and where they could have done better and um, where they weren't enough versus someone who who's taken those hard times and gone, you know what, stuff it. Yeah. Because it'll happen anyway. Absolutely it'll happen. <laughs> it'll probably happen less, though, if you're more able to let go of these preconceptions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to throw a couple of topics at you. Cool. One word answer. Okay, Don't one word. think about it. Okay. Favourite footy team? Oh. That's not meant to be a trick <laughs> I know. question. <laughs> I, don't have um, I have to say Hawks. Okay. We are kind of in out in that zone. Um, <laughs> best holiday you've ever been on? Where was it to, and who was it with? Somewhere with a, a natural rainforest, so somewhere like um, out of Queensland. Oh, who was it with too? Um, oh, my sorry, sorry, Noosa. This is bad. <laughs> Noosa with my family. Excellent. My current family. Um, favorite subject while you were at school? Psychology. What car do you drive? A mum. SUV. <laughs> what uh, what suburb do you live in now? Williamstown. What do you like about Williamstown? Mm, it's new to me, mm-hmm. so it pushes my expectations, and to be by the sea is incredible. Mention a teacher who you remember. Oh, Mrs. Carroll. A student who you remember. A student. To Jane Forbes, Emily Wilde, still my best friends, even though we live in completely opposite parts of Victoria. What did you used to have for lunch when you were at school? Peanut butter and jam sandwiches. Not allowed to bring peanut butter. I know. (laughs) (laughs) A favourite movie? Favourite movie. I don't have one. I don't watch enough. This is where I'm a nerd. I don't watch enough movies. Where would we have found you hanging out? while you're here at Yarra? In the outside, the Year 10 locker sort of area and a great guy-girl group that was often just outside there. What house were you in while you were here? Arnott. Excellent. And uh, did you uh, do your bit for the team? Yeah. What were you known for? Probably netball. I I loved netball. I've still got the ankle injuries to show for it and um I think yeah we we did we did really well in our year um we miss under Miss Carol and Miss Zarnett um we had some fantastic wins we went to Bali actually for the netball team for the girls which was such an eye-opening and awesome experience um as a team from year levels 10 to 12 to have to work together in a team in international competition and then yeah captaining the year um the first netball to win their first cup and so that was yeah netball's huge part of my Yarra love that's fantastic do you recall a production or a musical absolutely I love the musicals my husband does too so Oliver was my favorite I was in Oliver um so I was in year 10 and then um we did Wizard of Oz and um yeah, they are huge memories and so fond and something that um, we've got even our introverted kids involved in because they love it too. The music, coming together as a team, the fun and the memories never fade. That's great. That's great. Best advice you ever received? It's a biggie. I know that's not necessarily it's one huge. you can fire off. 
Um, uh, my mum, my mum, um, just to use your voice. Mm-hmm. And my Not di- your singing voice. No, I don't have a voice. No, no singing voice. Just to stand up for what you believe in and speak it and speak it for others that aren't in the same opportunity to speak up. Um, and my dad, use your brain and your ears more. Okay. Interesting. It wasn't so interesting. So mum saying use your voice and dad saying yep. shut up and listen. Yep. <laughs> yep. And, and you told us earlier that they were very different people. Yeah, they and, and yeah. had different perspectives and different attributes and different strengths and, and perhaps the result of that is somebody who's really well-rounded. Oh. That's who is sitting in front of me today. And it's been a delight, Emily McVean, from the class of 1997, to sit with you and to hear you speak. Um, Emily Tunks. Emily Tunks. From Tunks from here, yes. Tunks. So all of your classmates yeah. may be going Emily McVean, oh, I'm not too sure, but Emily Tunks. Yeah, I, I sometimes use that more in my personal life and then in a psychology sense it's nice to have a separate name sometimes just when you yes. can have some dodgy clients that you need a separate <laughs> account for. Last question. Yeah. And that is, is there a question that you wished I had asked you that I didn't ask mm, you? That's a great question. I, I guess um, about when you mentioned, you know, the, the school motto and the school um, song, it, it brought to mind um, that term, you, did you call it the Yarra spirit? Mm-hmm. That is what I really, I grew, oh, that's where I really grew. Sure, I got the awesome academic platform that has made my career a possibility, um, but the emotional, social spirit that comes through the Yarra spirit was so new to me. Um, The other school I was at had elements, but it was just incredible that you could have year 10s, 11, 12s at the same party and being accepting and um, supportive and you could um, be considered, um, you could be considered uh, worthy and that is uh, something I still see today. I still catch up with my Yarra friends, mainly the girls, probably every quarter or every two months. And then um, the memories as a result of that Yarra spirit is we still support each other, even though we are in completely different fields with completely different interests. That Yarra spirit of supporting each other's um, growth and, my God, the fun that comes from that. It was just such a fun school. Mm. It's a great way to finish. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom and for your vulnerability. Thanks for sharing with us today. And with that, we wrap up another episode of Inspired by Yarra. And we thank Emily Tunks from the class of 1997. <laughs> thank you, thank Paul. You for your time. Thank you. Well, that wraps up another episode of Inspired by Yarra. And I hope you found this conversation interesting and inspiring along the way. Emily. The perspective of a leader, a student leader, a class captain and somebody who continues to make an impact in the lives of the people around her. Thanks for joining us here on this episode and uh, we'd love you to share it. Share it with others, whether you are part of the YOG community yourself or a member of the Yarra wider community or indeed you've just stumbled upon this podcast. 
by all means, if you found some uh, some inspiration here, some helpful tips and suggestions and just a, a perspective on life that you would like to share, we'd love you to, to share it via your podcast player. Um, we're on all of the social medias and we'd love you to, uh, to share this episode with somebody who you think would benefit from it. You can subscribe too, and uh, that's one way of not missing out on an episode, whether it be on iTunes or um, Stitcher Radio, Apple Play, however it is that you have found this podcast. We'd love you to subscribe so that you don't miss another episode. We've got a whole library that's building, and, and you can tune into them, again, via your podcast player, or indeed look us up at yvg.vic.edu.au. My name's Paul Joy, and on behalf of everyone here at Yarra, I want to wish you another day of inspiration where you get out there and make a positive impact in the world around you.